0: He is the host of The Noble and Roosh Show by Ball is Life. We welcome Roosh Williams to the podcast. How you doing, Roosh?
1: I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here and do a talk a little Rockets and some NBA.
0: Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a bit of a home game because I'll, I'll tell you right off the bat, I, I'm a Rockets fan as well. Uh, so, so definitely excited to chat some Rockets with you. And, and I guess let's start there. Been a very eventful year and a half, really, for the Rockets. Um, wanted to get your thoughts on this offseason so far. I mean, there's there's been a lot of news, of course, about the Rockets in the draft, the Rockets at Summer League. How are you feeling about Raphael Stone so far after seeing what has transpired this offseason?
1: I feel really good, to be honest. Um, and, you know, I was a fan of Daryl Morey, but in conjunction with the job Rafael Stone has done, I think we should also look at Philadelphia um, to see the the missteps that I think Maury has taken with the whole Ben Simmons thing. I think they're fumbling that pretty bad Um, as again, Daryl Morey is in the headlines with the mismanagement or whatever, the turmoil of a star that wants out. Right. So, so that's step one, step two. um, I I really love stones approach. I mean, they drafted four rookies. I'm really not that high on Josh Christopher. I know a lot of Rockets fans are. I, I, I think he's going to take a while to pan out if he does, so maybe I'm wrong on that. But I love Garuba, Shangun, obviously Jalen Green, um, and I just I just love the overall approach <clears throat> that Stone has taken. Um, you know, using none of the assets from the Harden trade, using honestly probably the two weaker two of the weaker assets that the Rockets had with the Washington Wizards pick from the Westbrook John Wall trade. And then uh, the Detroit Pistons pick from the Christian Wood and Robert Covington, I think it was a three-way, whatever, when they did that before last season started. So those two picks had no guarantees of conveying. Um, in the, I think they're supposed to both convey like around mid to first. They were heavily protected. And it was likely that they wouldn't even convey for another three, four, maybe more years. Um, and Stone flipped those to go grab Shangun, who, if he pans out the way that we that we've been thinking, I mean, he might be something serious, right? So I love the approach in trying to collect a bunch of young talent. Everyone they drafted, I think, is 19 years old. All of them, except for Josh Christopher, have professional playing experience. Two of them, obviously, international. Um, so, I mean, I love it. And then in the off season, they they re-signed David Noaba for I think a very fair deal, which I, honestly was surprising because if I was David Noaba, I would have possibly gone to a contender. Um, and mm-hmm. then Daniel Tice. You know, they used. Uh, I think they used the trade exception from one of the previous trades. I think from the Harden trade, actually. Yeah, um, I so. To absorb Daniel Tice. So I think will be a good fit next to Christian Wood and is kind of the type of player that the Rockets didn't really have last season. Right. Like a, I wouldn't call him a bruiser, but he's supposed to play that kind of the bigger role, do the dirty work. He's only six, eight, but supposed to be the, the big man that gets busy, gets dirty, guards the other teams, you know, big guy. So Christian Wood doesn't have to boxes out, rebounds, all that kind of stuff. So so far, man, I like it. I like it a lot.
0: Awesome. Do you see it as kind of a function of they just needed a new face in management like Maury had just kind of had his time? Uh, He certainly gets a lot of props, has has been in hell, held in high regard around the league. Do you think it's more they just needed a fresh start? Or do you think the methodology would have been different under Maury as well this offseason?
1: You know, we haven't really seen Daryl Maury rebuild from the ground up. So Mm. I think it's safe to say that a, yeah. I think I think the answer to both the answer to both questions is yes. They did need a fresh start because they needed to totally hit reset, right? They went all in on Harden to the extent that they traded Capella um, and pretty much drained themselves of their own assets in the Russell Westbrook Chris Paul trade, right? So from that perspective, they had nothing left for Mori to even work with. His his expertise or you know, what he's good at is kind of the wizardry of flipping picks and you know, kind of extracting value when there isn't much to be extracted. And then number two, would the methodology have been different. I think so. I think mori's methodology has kind of run tired. Um, and, you know, he had a really good thing going for a while, but I, I don't know. It just kind of seems like people don't just kind of seems like people around the league are wary of Daryl Morey And like the whole analytics thing has kind of hit, hit the the ceiling and is like almost on the way down, not that's not commentary on whether it's right or wrong, but it just feels like that's how it, how it is and how it's viewed. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a function of both. You know, I, I I think that stone stone's approach is that he understands how to identify legitimate basketball talent. Right. And he finds kind of gems. Jay Sean Tate, uh, Sterling Brown, I thought was a great signing, even though he's gone. David Nwaba uh, stone had a hand in that. I know he was signed under Maury, but I think stone had a big hand in, in scouting him and bringing him over obviously all of the draft picks, um, you know, taking the gamble, I wouldn't call it a gamble, but making the move for Christian wood, all these kinds of things, more so a Hooper, right? Like he, he just sees and, and, and Raphael stone did play basketball, I think in college at like a D two or D three school. So he just sees the game from that perspective and Mori sees it, as we all know, more like black and white numbers, database, that kind of thing. And Daryl Mori's draft picks never really hit. Um, you know, I think Clint Capella was his best draft pick, who's a pretty damn good player. But there were a lot of misses in the Maury era. Um, most famously that year, I think that the Rockets had three or four picks and they took Terrence Jones, you know, I forgot his name, Royce White. Uh, no, Royce White. I believe that's, you know, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, from that perspective, um, I don't think Maury's methodology would have resulted in a successful rebuild. I think that, just a, just a total guess, but I think that played into Maury's calculus of getting out of town. You know, I think he saw the writing on the wall and was like, I'm not built for this. So I think it all kind of fits into place, you know? Um, but yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean that whole like small ball move towards the end of that last season, he was around kind of smelled of, of desperation, um, kind of switching topics a little bit. One, one thing, that I think most rocket fans are most excited to see is of course, the progression of Jalen green. Can he contend for rookie of the year this upcoming year? Um, what were your thoughts just watching him over the course of summer league? He definitely, so I'll, I'll take the L on this, but before the draft and before summer league, I was kind of advocating for drafting Mobley. And of course there's, there's, time that's going to play into this we're going to need to see their careers develop obviously but man seeing his first game in summer league he just popped and it's like oh okay I get this (laughs) I may have to take the L here what were your thoughts watching him in summer league and what what can we expect from him uh this season in terms of playing time and development
1: yeah I mean I know a lot of people I know Rockets Twitter was split between Evan Mobley and Jalen Green obviously right um I think Mobley has a ton of potential like you kind of indicated to down the line, develop into something in the summer league. He showed flashes um, of kind of being that like stretch big that, you know, everyone envisions him being, I think his main value is going to be on defense. And then hopefully for his own sake, he'll he'll eventually develop the offensive prowess. But that's why, I mean, I was team Jalen green. And the reason is kind of what you just said. He's ready to go. I mean, he just looks ready to go from day one. His fluidity on the court, I think is second to none. Um, his skill set is immediately translatable. Is that a word? I don't know, but it immediately translates into the NBA. Um, his shot is incredibly smooth. The release is pretty quick. The footwork is there. The athleticism, top notch. I mean, the only thing that we had question marks about, we meaning the collective people, fans in general, was um, or were defensive ability and playmaking as like a primary guard. You know, most people slotted him as like a two, like a Bradley Beal, Zach Levine kind of player. And he showed, I think he can immediately become that. I mean, I could see him immediately dropping 17 a game if he's given the chance, if not more, depending on how, how often he gets the ball. And he was incredibly efficient in the summer league and he was efficient in the G league. I think a lot of people forget that he kind of got tabbed as like a gunner, I think, but uh, his TS percentage, if I'm not mistaken, was I think 61% in the G league, Mm. which is incredibly impressive. And he, and he shot, I think, 36% from three on six attempts per game. But we saw in the summer league he, he's able to uh, – sorry, my dogs might bark from time to time. I probably <laughs> no don't. worries. But um, we saw in the summer league he's able to create off the pick and roll. He had a couple plays, two that come to mind specifically. I don't know if you remember, but there was one off the pick and roll where he <clears throat> he gets the pick, gets into the second layer, and then he did like an underhand, uh, an underhanded, one-handed scoop pass to Shangoon for a bucket And then he also got a pick and roll um, on the right side of the court on the perimeter. And then both defenders converged on him and he slipped like a pocket bounce pass to the roller, who I think was KJ Martin, who I think then dunked on Evan Mobley. I might be wrong about that. But so we saw the flashes like he just looks like a natural, you know, Um, and, and I think that's the biggest thing to be excited about with Jalen Green is like the game comes to him with Evan Mobley. He might be a star. I'm not saying he's not. But the game's not immediately going to come to him. There's, there, there will be some awkward phases, and he's going to have to feel his fit around. Jalen Green's the kind of guy, man, you can just put him out there, run a screen for him, get him open, catch, shoot, boom. You know, we saw that. Um, I forget his his final numbers in the summer league, but he was extremely efficient, like I mentioned. So, you know, you put that, and it's, it's funny because it's a contrast from Harden, right? James Harden was very on ball, very deliberate almost lulled people to sleep and then made his move um, sometimes to the Mm -hmm. frustration of the fans where, you know, it's just kind of like do something, dude, like stop, stop (laughs) stepping back. Right. Uh, Jalen green is just a a jolt of energy, like a lightning bolt. You know, Uh, he just gets the ball. He goes when he doesn't have the ball, he's moving. It's just hard to track. So all of that's translatable development. Um, Like I said, dude, he's coming right into the league, ready to go. I think the development is going to come. Again, in terms of creating off the pick and roll, he's going to have some struggles. We're going to see him mess that up. We're going to see nights where he goes like, I don't know, four of 17, you know, and the shot's just not there. Um, So that stuff's going to happen. But like I said, he's proven that he's efficient. So I expect him to be efficient. I think it's going to be more so a function and a matter of who he's playing with. We don't really know what the lineups are like. So you asked about minutes. That's the mystery to me, honestly. Um, I predict the starting lineup will be Daniel Tice, Christian Wood, Kevin Porter Jr., kind of awkwardly at the three Jalen green at the two and John wall at the one. Um, I, I just see no way John wall's on the bench. I see no way that Kevin Porter jr. Is on the bench because they kind of gave him the keys last season with when wall was hurt and out. And obviously he was, you know, had the 50 point game kind of earned his, his spot there. Mm-hmm. And then um, I don't see, a I don't see how you bench Jalen green either, because he's your number one draft pick. You want to develop him, And he's, I think immediately the best two guard on the roster. So, Maybe you could argue Eric Gordon, but so, yeah, I mean, I I think he'll get good minutes. I think that they're going to prioritize developing him. um, And I think it'll just naturally happen. The only thing that could muck it up is the lineups, but I just got a weird feeling that they're going to be kind of good, not good, but not, not as awful as we, we grew accustomed to this last season.
0: That's that's perfect. That's exactly where I was. I was going to take you with the next question is uh, I know it's early. I know the draft picks were all four of them. 19 years old. It's a young team. Do you think there's a shot? The Rockets can contend for that play in tournament, or is that a little bit too much too soon
1: to expect? I think the answer is yes and yes. So. (laughs) 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 You just got to be logical, right? That's what I try to do. I don't know. Um, Right. Logically speaking, San Antonio most likely will stink. They, I think they were thirty-three and thirty-nine. Mm. I don't remember their record, but I think they were—they were definitely under five hundred last season. And that's with DeMar DeRozan. And they no longer have DeMar DeRozan. They simply don't have like good talent, in my opinion. They don't have bad talent, but they just don't have—they don't have as much talent as the Rockets have, quite frankly. Um, you know, they re-signed Bryn Forbes. They still got Deontay Murray. I don't know Lonnie Walker. I think Derek White. They Got that Australian center. I, I
0: can't remember his name, but right. <laughs> what, <Jacob laughs> Yakaperto? Yeah. Um, no, guy who no, was on Australian. the Olympic teams. Uh, I, I can't remember his name. I think it started right. with Nell.
1: <laughs> that guy, but there you
0: go. <laughs> so,
1: you know, so I, I just don't think they have enough talent uh, as much talent as the Rockets. So that's one team that they could finish ahead of. Oklahoma City, same thing, you know, uh, Shay Gilgis Alexander, maybe Josh. Josh giddy if he's you know if he comes in ready we, we really didn't get a chance to see him play because he got hurt and then I don't know uh, Lou Dort you know their talent doesn't match up to the Rockets and and they're obviously I think intentionally trying to tank which we can touch on I'm not sure if the Rockets are a lot of people want them to but I'm not so sold that they want to tank this season so Thunder want to tank so there's two teams um I'm going off the top of my head. If you could give me who are the who are the bottom teams? Timberwolves. Timberwolves. The Timberwolves could have have a decent season. <clears throat> um, they traded for Pat Beverly, who I think will fit pretty well. They get another year, or they get a full year of Chris Finch. Um, you know, another they get another year of Anthony Edwards. So they might have what it takes to kind of start piecing things together. No guarantee that they will, but they could also very well be worse than the Rockets. You know, you could argue that the Rockets have better talent. Than the Timberwolves. So that's three. Yeah. The Pelicans are my fifth team. Who's the fourth? Sacramento, Sacramento. potentially. Sacramento. They're always Sacramento. in the conversation. Yes. So the Kings, right? And the Kings. And I don't think they have more talent than the Rockets. I mean, De'Aaron Fox is obviously a very, very good player. Um, did Buddy Hield get traded? Is Buddy Hield still there? Still there. Still there, uh, still there to my recollection. Yeah.
0: Potential Ben Simmons team, but you know, who knows where that's going.
1: <laughs> right. And if they if they do that, I mean we'll see how that fits. But So Sacramento is another team, right? I mean, I don't think that there's a strong argument to say that they have more talent than the Rockets. So there's four teams right there. And then the Pelicans should be better than the Rockets, but they also might not be much better than the Rockets. They're also, not to be negative, but they are a Zion injury or a Zion like tweaked hamstring, which, I mean, his body type could get hurt. And if Zion gets hurt, they're definitely going to than the Rockets, right? So – there you go. Now, if, if New Orleans is better than the Rockets, there's still, I think, there's a strong argument to be made that Houston could be the 11th seed and by virtue of that is thus battling for a play-in spot. So I think that's all fair. You know, I mean, the Rockets were 11 and 10 through the first 21 games of the season. <clears throat> I think that's, I think there were seven games with Harden, if I'm not mistaken. So three and four, maybe three and five. I could be wrong about that, but I think under, 500, right, yeah. under 500 with Harden, 11 and 10, including that through the first 21 games, John wall missed several games. Christian Wood missed a couple games and then he got hurt and everything changed. And that, that 11 and 10 record is including, or is not including Kevin Porter, Jr. Kelly Olenek, um, you know, and then obviously Jalen green, Eric Gordon got hurt for a long time. No Alperin shingoon, no Daniel Tice to kind of compliment Wood. all these different, all these different pieces. So, and then, you know, John wall had a bad season. Um, was not efficient, but I think that was largely a function of him doing too much and simply outplaying his, his capability. You know, he's not like a number one guy that's going to go out there and drop 20, 25, 30 a night on efficient numbers. He's the kind of guy that at his best, not at his individual best, but at his best with respect to how he value, how he's valued for a team. Um, he's going to give you like 18 and eight, you know, or 18 and nine or 17 and 10, something like that. And have people scoring around him. And now he does, you know? So I think Eric Gordon coming back, TBD as to whether he'll get traded or not. I mean, I think they're trying to trade him, but we'll see. And then depending on how the other pieces fit, right? Does KPJ take a leap? Does he take a leap as a scorer and a shooter? And he fits in there so that John Wall makes sense as the one. And there's no kind of awkward battle between the two. Does Jalen Green plug right in? Is Eric Gordon healthy and on the team? Another year of Jay Sean Tate. Is Christian Wood healthy? Does Daniel Tice's value actually kind of play out on the court? And, you know, he is the piece that kind of keeps things slightly glued together. So if all those things happen, I mean, I think they're definitely better than what people think. A lot of people that don't really follow the team don't understand that they were playing, you know, like 60 percent of a G League roster. Really, Uh, they had guys kind of just it was a revolving door of randoms who were coming in trying to earn contracts. You know, Kyrie Thomas, Armani Brooks, those guys stuck around. I think Cam Thomas, just like a whole list of names that I can't even remember because those guys aren't in the league. Um, And people forget that. You know, John Wall missed a ton of games. Christian Wood, Eric Gordon, probably three of their better players. So, And then you obviously get another year of K.J. Martin as well. So, yeah, I mean, that's a really long way of answering to to say that I think they're going to be better than people think. And um, I think they could be good enough to kind of hover maybe not too deep under 500. And if they really click, they can maybe like – they could maybe be around five hundred.
2: What do you make of the James Harden era? What are your feelings about him in his prime with the Rockets? How he left and what he's doing in Brooklyn? I mean, it just, I, I believe you know how these things go in terms of you know the star player leaving for a different team. It could be kind of a messy divorce, or it could be you know fond memories. What do you what do you overall make of what happened with James Harden?
1: First of all, is that a New Mexico State? In the background, is that what that is?
2: Oh, uh, New Mexico uh, Lobos.
1: New Mexico. Sorry, sorry. In, yeah. <laughs> okay.
2: Yeah, we're from Albuquerque.
1: <laughs> there you go. Uh, did you do you remember a guy named Philip McDonald?
2: Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Phil McDonald for yeah, sure, for sure.
1: Yeah, we beat Philip McDonald in uh, high school in the first round of the playoffs. We upset them. I remember nice. Philip McDonald. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> anyways, to answer your question, I think it's both sides of the coin. You know, um, I understand why he did what he did. Uh, it also was messy, you know? Um, I mean, look, he was in a position where... Sorry. <clears throat> I don't know if you guys edit any of this in post. I apologize. I got a little throat thing. But he was in a position where he had to carry a load that pretty much no one in the NBA can carry other than LeBron James. And, and you know, I spent a lot of time defending him and arguing on his behalf. And I stick to it by this day. Uh, I stick to it to this day. Nobody... Nobody, I mean, the Rockets were going to win in 18. They were going to win it all. I, I firmly believe that. And James Harden was carrying a load that no one other than LeBron carries. And he played with two superstars in eight years. Sorry, two two all-stars in eight years. Dwight Howard, I believe, in his first year in Houston. And then uh, Russell Westbrook in his only year in Houston. You can argue Chris Paul was deserving of, a, of an all-star spot. That's fine. But he missed 24 games each season. So that kind of definitely factors in. Um made two conference finals, obviously had a title in the bag. Now, the flip side of that is that knowing what we know and knowing some of the things that I know, Harden, he was a my way or the highway kind of guy to his own detriment, unfortunately. You know, um, And I think that that kind of played into, I mean, you have to look like, was Dwight Howard the type of talent to take Houston all the way at that point in his career? Probably not. But Harden ran him out of town. Um, I don't have any issue with that necessarily because Dwight Howard didn't really understand his role. He wanted to be like a back to the basket, give me the ball kind of guy. But that's example one, the Chris Paul relationship that Harden ruined. I'll never forgive him for, unfortunately. Um, You know, obviously Chris Paul has a reputation for maybe being difficult to play with whatever. But at the end of the day, basketball wise, those guys clicked, you know, people, people think they didn't because they just kind of alternated ISOs, but they were ridiculous and they were ridiculously good. And what Harden, didn't do to his detriment in that second year is Harden wasn't willing to change his ISO game. You know, he wanted to keep playing it. And the fact that Chris Paul couldn't really keep up at the same level that he did in his first year in Houston really pissed Harden off. Um, And the Rockets could have been a lot better if Harden was willing to kind of budge on some of that and play some of Chris Paul's style and do some things like moving off the ball, running sets, all that kind of stuff. Like you see Devin Booker do. Um, And I don't know. Matt, I don't know if you remember this game since you said you're a Rockets fan, but in that second season, 2018-2019, there was a game, I think it was in February or March, and I think it was in Golden State, but it was against Golden State for sure. James Harden was out, and Chris Paul had 24 points and 17 assists, and the Rockets beat them pretty handily. And that was the I foreshadowing. You know, yeah. that was the the blueprint, not the foreshadowing. That was the blueprint for playing a different style and, and keeping... A team on their toes, right? Um, Because Chris Paul had a really poor playoff series his second season because they had him going ISO, you know? So, so Harden deserves a lot, a lot of flack and blame for not adjusting and then for ultimately running him out, which is what he did. Harden said, trade him or trade me. Um, And I know that for sure. So I'll never forgive him for that. And that, you know, he made his own bed and he's got to lay in it with respect to that. And then, and then the rush trade, you know, he wanted Russ, To the extent that he forced the franchise, he didn't force them, but he basically held them hostage. And like, what are you going to do if you're a franchise, you know, trade Harden or Chris Paul in hindsight, trade Harden at his highest value, but at the time they panicked and and they did what they did and they traded Chris Paul and, you know, two draft picks and draft swaps or whatever it was. Right. And they put themselves in a deep, deep hole in terms of asset collection. And that is almost entirely, definitely majority on James Harden and his, him making that request and demand. And then after a year, Harden and Russ, and again, I know this, Harden and Russ just didn't really click. I feel like, you know, things, they kind of realized things weren't the same as they used to be. They realized that they're kind of in different places in their career and they had formed into different players. And that's why Russ was just like, you know, cool, send me somewhere else so I can play my game. And they mutually parted ways. They were, they were both okay with it. Um, and then of course, everything else that we know, the strip club stuff, you know, uh, Whatever he said in the press conference, situation is crazy, blah, 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 blah. And also, he deserves a ton of blame for not even giving the trio of himself, Russell Westbrook, and Christian Wood a chance. Because they could have been pretty freaking good. Um, And then given how all the injuries played out, Phoenix emerged out of the West, right? Uh, I mean, I have a lot of faith in Harden, Russell Westbrook, and Christian Wood beating that Phoenix team. Especially with those role players, especially if you give them you know another year of or not even a year but if you know season in season moves right who knows what kind of moves they could have made on the fringes to improve that team so you know to answer your question it was messy man like i don't blame him because now he's getting all the recognition that he deserved in houston right you see everyone saying oh my god james harden has changed his game he's become a passer you know okay you weren't watching clearly (laughs) and uh But, but you see how the narrative changes and we know for sure that that stuff affects them. I actually found Harden's mom's burner account and outed it in the off season. And so like, there's your direct answer. (laughs) Moan bear, M O N B E A R five, Moan bear five. She blocked me, but, (laughs) but you know, there's your direct answer, right? Like they see that they see what's being said. They hear the noise and you know, I, th- I don't think it's any coincidence that now Harden is, like, all over social media, right? Ever since going to Brooklyn, he was radio silent on social media yeah. in Houston for a while. Now he's just posting all the time, doing all- doing his thing, seems happier, playing with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. Brooklyn is doing every single thing possible to get every single role player possible. They re-signed Blake Griffin, you know, Paul Millsap, whatever, right, Patty Mills. So uh, from that angle, I can't – I'm not mad at him, you know. The situation that was created and the around him and the the perception that was created around him to some degree was really out of his hands and the media just did what the media did, and now the media is doing what the media does. And, you know. So, but as a fan, it knowing all the the minutia of it, it's kind of just like, damn, it's it's unfortunate because it should have happened. And if 2018 Chris Paul injury doesn't happen, legacies are different. Harden probably re-ups that contract again. Stays for longer. D'Antoni is certified. You know, Chris Paul doesn't get traded, all that stuff. So it sucks, but it is what it is.
2: Oops. Matt, do you have another question before we let Rush go?
0: Uh, I, I guess one more, just kind of a, a general question for you, Roosh, about the NBA in general. Uh, I know there were rule changes that were made. I'm, I'm eager to see it play out on the court, you know, with guys making non-basketball moves, I think is how they, they termed it. Actually, you know, along the lines of talking about James Harden, uh, a lot of the ire from that was directed at him. Uh, but how, what are your feelings of the state of the NBA in general? How do you feel about the game, watching the product overall? Is there anything right now that if you were you know, commissioner, all-powerful power, commissioner for a day, is there anything you would change about the game?
1: That's an interesting question that I've never been asked. Um, so as you can tell, my answers are generally twofold because uh, you know it's hard to be black and white. Things are usually in the gray area for me, at least. The 90s 90s is in my, is my favorite era. Does that mean I want to go back to the nineties? Not necessarily. The game's really pretty now. I mean, it's evolved to where the wing players, I mean, you know, they can handle, they can shoot, they can really do it all. Um, I'm a hoopaholic, man. As you can tell with the fact that I just broke my nose playing a recreational game for the fourth time in three and a half years last night. So I love the game. I don't hate the state of the game. I do hate certain things about the game. Like you alluded to the rule changes and I think a lot of fans noticed that watching the Olympics because they were like, oh, they're not calling all these BS fouls, right? Like they're letting them play basketball. And that's one of the things. I don't know if you guys ever play for fun, but no one's going to pump fake and jump to your left and call a foul. And if they did, everyone would look, that, look at them and say, good luck, dude. No, <laughs> check up. Like, shut up. So, <laughs> you know, so for, I hope they clean that stuff up. I will say with respect to Harden specifically, I think he's smart enough to where it's not going to really affect him that much. Once he figures out that they're not giving him the calls, I'm also skeptical as to whether they're really going to enforce it the way they say they will. A lot of times yeah. they do that stuff like heavy in preseason and then they fold and cake on it in the regular season. Um, but yeah, man, if they could clean that up, because like guys like Damian Lillard, you saw in the Olympics, just looked like an idiot at times doing like the whole, you know, like, you know, picks up his dribble and just leans over and just like flails and then looks at the ref like, where's the call? Brutal. It's actually sure sad. Did. You know, it's sad to see that they've been conditioned to expect that like that. When I was watching it, I was like, that is so embarrassing, dude. You're <laughs> you're so much more skilled than everyone guarding you. But you feel ne- you feel it necessary to do that. And you have to blame the, the officials because in the league, because that's where it comes from. You know, they condone that stuff. They condition them to let them do that. Um, and the other thing, in my opinion, is defense, man. Uh, you know, defense is really, really hard to play, especially at that level. Okay, there's really no way to play defense without like a slight minor hand check every now and then, you know, unless you're the best of the best. Right. I'll hand check people sometimes when I play, Um, not egregiously, but like you need, you know, just to keep your balance. Now, of course, I'm nowhere near an NBA NBA athlete. But when you're guarding someone like Trey Young, who can do it all, pull from 30 feet quick as hell, James Harden, all that stuff. The last thing they need is extra help. Right. Um, So I would like to get to a point where we're seeing defense again um like let let guys defend you know let let the defender when he makes a good play and he goes straight up even if he bites on a pump fake he goes straight up and is just like trying to alter the shot and then someone leans into him with his shoulder I I see that they're saying they're going to call that as an offensive foul just no call it just play ball dude if someone wants to lean in and jack something up let them do that and if they make it they make it and if they miss it which they probably will then they miss it and the game goes on and they'll eventually cut that shit out i'm not sure if i can cuss i'm sorry but
0: that's fine that's fine okay
1: they'll eventually cut it out so i think those are just two main things um and you know i don't know it makes sense for threes to be the primary basket the primary whatever option of scoring just mathematically but it does kind of suck that i don't know it's just kind of whack to know that the game is literally drive and kick three drive and kick three and you could probably rebut that by saying, "Yeah, it was whack when the game was dumping in the post and watch guys work." And I wouldn't necessarily argue that. But um, watching guys like Pat Ewing and Hakeem and Shaq work is still entertaining to this day. Maybe not watching guys like Matt Geiger or Matumbo, but <laughs> you know, but, but watching like the best of the best do what they do is always fun. And um, so, you know, I don't know. Like they, they say, it's a make or miss league. And so, from that, I kind of deduce and extract like are we really seeing the best of the best or are we just seeing who makes more threes on any given night? Cause that's sometimes what it feels like. I don't know what the right answer is, but that's just what it feels like. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think those things are, are the main things, you know, like make, let defenders defend and do not aid the most talented players that we have. Like let's watch them, you know, earn what they get. Like, I think nothing is more, nothing feels cheaper than like a 50 point game with like 20 something free throws. And sometimes those free throws are earned legitimately. Yeah, and like I'm cool with that, but you know I don't know. It, we we give out so many accolades over stats and achievements, all these things. But sometimes when you watch the game, it's just like, dude, that that dude went to the line for nothing ten times, you know. And that's LeBron James. He doesn't need to. That, he doesn't need that. Like, let's. I want to see him earn it, you know. But hey, you could say the same thing. You could you could watch a Bulls game and say MJ got some deference, and that's right and at the end of the day it sucks because the league um, is catered towards its you know it's it's going to cater towards its biggest stars also i'll say i don't know how you legislate this i don't know how you fix this but i'm really tired of seeing the waiver wire or whatever you want to call it the buyout market you know like Blake Griffin Paul Millsap mm-hmm. whatever guys in midseason just like saying okay i'm not going to play getting bought out going right to a contender like it kills things for me and also guys just jumping teams season to season dude like I don't know how old y'all are but for me I grew up during an NBA where like I remember the role players on any team you know yeah. I remember Hersey yeah. Hawkins, Detlef yeah. Schrempf, yep. Nate McMillan, Kendall Gill, I remember like Dell Curry on the Hornets, Muggsy Bogues on the Hornets, you know Antoine Big Dog Carr in Utah, Brian you know whatever it goes on and on yeah. and that's like that's for the fans that's a big thing even even for the Rockets, dude, like some of my favorite Rockets ever are the role players from the championship years. Yeah. Um, and it gives that those teams identities. It gives the franchises identities. You know, you knew Utah was going to be tough defensively because they had that same lineup of guys. You know, X, Y, Z, mix and match for whatever team it is. Um, so seeing guys just donning like a different jersey every, you know, eight months, it's like, all right, I guess, man. I don't know. It it kind of just kills the spirit of building a team. Um,
0: Yeah. And building a narrative for the league too. hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. I agree.
1: Yeah. 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 So it's just kind of, it's just kind of sad, dude. Um, You know, I don't know. We we grow with teams, right? Like I feel like fandom has turned into this thing where, again, I don't don't know how old you are, but I'm 32. And so the younger kids that I see, it's like all about the player, right? I'm a so-and-so yeah. stan, which is the, yeah. just the stupidest thing ever. But, <laughs> I agree. You know, yeah, it's like I'm a stan of this player. I don't care where he goes. He's the GOAT. Oh, he's got the rings, blah, 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 blah. It's like, all right, cool, man. I remember when, you know, like – not even I remember when. But we grow with these players. Like I said, you know, Kenny Smith, Vernon Maxwell, Sam Cassell, Mario Ellie, like a guy that averaged, I don't know, probably seven points a game in his career. Like I love that guy forever because of what he did. You know, the Rockets – former broadcaster matt bullard he was like a very fringe role player but like we all remember matt bullard you know pete like we remember these guys and um so i just feel like that's kind of been taken away from us and now like you see the lakers deandre jordan mellow got rondo back uh you know westbrook like got dwight howard back it's just like that's it doesn't feel like a real team it feels like when you're playing pickup at the gym and you know maybe you have next or you got two games down and then someone who's next is waiting for all his homies that are about to lose to pick all of them up, you know? And it's like, Oh yeah, we all played like D one or something. I want to go with my friends. And it's like, okay, cool. We're, we're going to get thumped, but great. Thanks. You know, like, dude, like whatever happened to just splitting captains and picking like even teams so we can have fun, you know? So that's what it feels like. Um, and you know, maybe I'm whining with that. I appreciate you asking that question so I could vent on that, but you know, I miss it. We talk I about that every
0: week.
2: <laughs> so,
0: yeah, yeah. Not, I think that's a solid analogy, man. I 100
2: um, agree with you. It feels like we're watching 2K, but in human form. So I hate it. it's re- it's ridiculous. I mean, Matt and I were on a text chain with friends of ours, and I seem like I'm the old <laughs> man, just in terms of rooting for teams and not players, and not bandwagoning switching teams every year. It just I seem like I'm an anomaly, just
1: mm. being a bull. But you're saying you're saying Matt. Is a fan of
2: certain. <laughs> oh, no, I don't say fan. Matt's—he's uh, a loyalist, but at the same time, I—I I, he, you know, he'll tell you he's followed LeBron through his career yeah, at okay, times. So. I appreciate LeBron's um, game.
1: Well, too, I can't blame yeah. you for that. There's there's a, there's a <laughs> place to be made for you know some of the greatest players of all time. Like I, Michael Jordan's my favorite player of all time. So Thank like you. I can respect that. But and maybe I'm biased on this, but like even in the '90s, dude, yeah. Pippen and MJ won six straight or whatever, three and three in two different segments. But there was no like, there was no indication that Pippen and MJ were necessarily better than any other duo. Like, obviously there was because they won it all and because MJ is the best player of all time, or at least definitely was, whatever you want to say. But like, you could go two on two with the greatest and then it really did come down to role players. And it really did come down to how good your top two were. Um, you know, Elijah Juan and Drexler, Ewing, I guess John Starks, maybe he's like a weaker number two, Stockton and Malone, Peyton and Kemp, dude, Peyton and Kemp won, I might be wrong on exactly how many, but I think from like 1991 or 1992, all the way through, I want to say 98-ish, they won 55 or more games, I think every season, and in, I think like five or four of those seasons, I think five of those seasons, I think they won 57 or more games, they had three 60 plus win seasons, like, they could have easily and then the, the Bulls waxed them in six, but like that was a legit team. Had they faced the Knicks or someone else, or had they not gotten bounced by the Jazz when the Jazz went to the finals, like, dude, that's a that duo could go toe-to-toe. But now you got three on three when it comes to the stars. Um, not even three on three, but you get three stars on any team, and it's like they're automatically in contention. And you you automatically are at a huge deficit to the to the extent that you can't even mess with them, you know. Like you could have you could take Alonzo Morning and Tim Hardaway and Jamal Mashburn and that 60 win Miami Heat team and say hey like that's a legit team even though they got whooped by the by the Bulls but on paper like you can see how that's a matchup yeah. but now i just like who's messing with Brooklyn i mean yeah. people yeah. say oh I, I still believe in Milwaukee yeah they forget that uh i don't know halfway through the Milwaukee Nets series we were talking about Mike Budenholzer getting fired you know like the narrative totally flipped to oh my god Giannis 100%. pulled off one of the greatest Feats of all time. It's like no, we we were talking about super teams until Kyrie went down and then Harden went down. Yeah, you know, like
0: Kevin Durant stepped on a line.
1: <laughs> Kevin Durant's big foot, you know, <laughs> saved the Bucks. Like, and then the narratives change when you get when you get past that. Like, what are we talking about here? Philadelphia, obviously, unless they get the type of return they want for Ben Simmons, they're not going to be the same team. Is Atlanta going to take that leap to mess with Brooklyn? I doubt it. Who else is messing with Brooklyn in the East? Yeah. Nobody. They're going <sighs> to cakewalk through the East unless like unless three of their guys get hurt. And that's the yeah. crazy thing. Two of them could get hurt and they'll be all right. That's the yeah. crazy thing. And then in the West, people are kind of sleeping on this. And I'm sorry, if you need me to bounce, dude, we could bounce. I'm just. No, all good. No, 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 all no. good. Yeah, all good. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: but in the West, the West is weak. Uh, I caught some flack for saying this, but I said the East is finally better than the West. Maybe we can debate that. But Utah just had their best regular season in two decades, and they flopped in the second round against a team without Kawhi halfway through the series. So Utah until further notice has a lot to prove. I'm not taking them seriously and I don't think anyone should maybe Rudy Gay changes things. I don't know, but they're also shopping. I think Ingalls and Bogdanovich. So we'll see. Um, Ingalls and or Bogdanovich. I don't think they can afford both of them. Um, Sorry. Uh, The Clippers Kawhi's out. So they're automatically not as good, right? Maybe Phoenix does it again. Maybe some of it was Phoenix capturing the right timing and the right magic. Will Chris Paul stay healthy? Who knows? You know, he did this year, and that was huge for their success. But if he doesn't, they could be in trouble. You know, and you just go down the list. Like, who else? Lakers. Who's messing with the Lakers in the West? Yeah. Golden State. They're going to need Clay to come back and be Clay, which is no guarantee. And even if he does, Draymond is kind of yeah. drastically slipped offensively. And then they're relying on rookies. I think Otto Porter Jr. is a good get. Um, I forget. I think they got one other I know they got Iguodala, but I think they got one other addition. Oh, um, Nemanja Bielitsa. Bielitsa will be – you know, that's fine. He's a stretch big. But are any of those guys putting them over the top against the Lakers? I doubt it. Um, yeah, you know, Portland, <laughs> no. Portland made no significant moves. I guess Denver's they just going
2: to do anything.
1: They just made a move. Um, I forget what it was. It was pretty good. It wasn't like, you know, oh, my God. Scary. Oh, they got Larry Nance. So they got oh, Larry. Right. <laughs> they got Larry Nance in a three-way deal with, you know, Cleveland and whatever, but like that's the type of stuff maybe 15 years ago, oh hey, that's a that's an important move. Now it's like, yeah, okay, great. The Lakers can just like churn them out. Dude, Wayne Ellington, who's probably like 10th on their depth chart would get minutes on a contender solid 3 and D guy, Westbrook, Dwight Howard, Mello, who I think Mello's actually a really bad fit, but he's talented. You know, they just got DeAndre Jordan, Dwight Howard. If they plan to run both of those or any either of those guys at the 5 I think it's to their detriment because they should just let AD run at the five. But the point is, uh, Kent Bazemore is probably like deep on, you know, low on their depth chart. That could be a role player for an actual contender elsewhere. Like who's messing with them? So I don't know, man.
0: Yeah. And this speaks to your your larger point from earlier too, is that I think these fan bases nowadays, I I think are smarter than they were in the nineties. I mean, they can look around and see, like if you're a Portland fan right now, like, yeah, I would love... Just as an NBA fan, I would love to see Portland pull the underdog upset and and beat the Lakers in the playoffs, but nobody is going to project that happening. I mean, it feels hopeless on day one of the season, unfortunately. And it's unfortunate,
2: too, because I think the draft works. I mean, look at what we've seen over the years in terms of high-talented players going to low market teams, but you know the end of the story, which they're gonna bounce because their homies are gonna say play in a better market. So it's just like we're waiting for looking at our watches, when is Zion gonna leave New Orleans? When is is you know looking at Joel Embiid? Like, is he really gonna stay in Philadelphia for the rest of his career? Probably not. So it it sucks because like you're saying Roosh, I mean (laughs) Matt and I are both traditionalists and just (laughs) it sucks that we're playing tic-tac-toe and just rearranging teams every single year. It just I agree. It kind of takes the fun out of it.
1: It does, man. And like yeah. going back to the nineties and I will clarify, Milwaukee's big three is legit. Yeah. Chris Middleton yeah. is a hell of a player, but drew middle, uh, drew holiday falls well short of Harden and Kyrie as the third option. And then, oh yeah. and I don't think the bucks have the, the talent at role player that the nets have like further down the line, but going back to the nineties, dude, those first three Jordan titles, um, they played the Lakers. They played, I think, a 60-plus win Laker team that still had Magic Johnson and James Worthy, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And Byron Scott. Yep. So, like, that's no joke there. Even though Magic was older, he was still putting up. His numbers were still extremely legit. I'm pretty sure he was in the MVP race that season. Could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Um, second season, they beat the Trailblazers, which were a damn good team. You know, Terry Porter, Duckworth, Jerome Kersey, uh, Clyde Drexler, Cliff Robinson, like, very good team. Probably the weakest of the the finals matchups that the bulls had. But then that third year they played Barkley and Barkley's MVP season, Barkley, Kevin Johnson, uh, Dan Marley. Like that was a very good team that probably would have beat any other team if it didn't have Jordan. And in those playoffs were the, the bulls won them in five, six and six, but that, that son's one was like uh, very competitive, you know? Um, and Barkley, if you look at his numbers that season, he was absolutely insane. So like, I could buy into that as, hey, th- this is a matchup: Bulls, Suns. I don't know who's going to win that, you know. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, I don't know who's going to win between the Lakers and the Nets. But I know that there's no chance that anyone else comes out of, other than those two, except maybe, maybe Milwaukee. And that's what's sad. Even the Jazz teams, and I already talked about the Sonics, the '96 Bulls finals, finals against the Bulls. But those Sonics teams were extremely legit. But those Jazz teams were super good, super good, and they were yeah. going against very tough sonics teams they went against a really tough rockets team you know like there was depth and and there was just more there but yeah now it's it's like from day one like i'm i'm as a fan i'm just interested in developing the young guys on the rockets and they're in a different situation but like there's really nothing else to look forward to like even an analysis just feels empty it's like what are we what are we analyzing you know um you see people on twitter talk and They got to do what they got to do to pump out content and make a couple bucks. So I get it, but, (laughs) you know, like try to make it interesting, but like, let's be real, dude, what are we wasting our time on? No one's messing with those teams unless someone gets hurt. That's it.
0: Yep. And I guess in a way I, I feel grateful as a Rockets fan this year that I've, I have something to watch develop. Like, I I think it's going to be a very, very interesting league pass watch, but I'm not convinced that there are all that many fans or even like general sports fans that are looking for the same thing from a team in their area. Um, You know, that's, that's kind of a a bit niche for me to mention that,
1: you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Imagine. So two things, one, imagine um, being, you know, just a non, like a non NBA fan, what is there to be interested in? You're just like, Oh, LeBron James. And then they got Kevin Durant. I'll wait for the finals, you know? Where, where's the draw? Where's the interest? And it's weird because maybe the numbers and, and the league revenue works contrary to what we we're talking about. Maybe like this is what makes them money. I mean, obviously, because it seems like this is what they want. And they wanted that Cavs-Warriors you know rivalry to go as long as it possibly could. So maybe like that works for them. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's number one. Number two, imagine if the Rockets had traded for Ben Simmons or imagine if they kept Jared Allen and extended him and kept Karis LeVert. Now you're looking at like a like a fringe eight or nine seed, maybe, maybe, probably not. And what is there to look forward to? No development, nothing. You just know you're stuck in purgatory with these dudes on extended contracts that sure, they deserve them. And I'm not going to say they don't. They're good players, but let's just be real. Those guys aren't winning you a title and they're not getting you close to one. So what is there to be excited? Like if you're the Pacers right now, what what are you supposed to do? You know, Take pride in your team enjoy the hell out of that four or five seed maybe and then get bounced you know like i just think that's i just think it's kind of sad um and i think it's sad that it's set up in a way where the rockets had to do what they had to do and suck in order to have a future and and land that pick and also get the luck of Jalen green being available and in general the the draft having that much talent also I, i don't think we mentioned this but i mentioned it earlier but the rockets intentionally tanking this year some people want them to tank and kind of tying into what I just said about the luck. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Connected to the phone. All good. Um, anyways, tying into the luck of having the right draft class, right? Next, next season's draft class is not supposed to be all that. So what if the Rockets had gotten the number two pick there instead, right? Like that's just disappointing. Now, are the Rockets trying to intentionally tank? I don't think they should for the reason I just stated, that this upcoming draft class isn't supposed to be all that. Um, and I think that if you're trying to build a culture, and I know we just like I just did a total one eighty back to the Rockets, but I forgot to mention this. If you're trying to build a culture of, you know, winning and some some type of atmosphere that players want to come to, I don't think tanking does it. And I don't think tanking does it with John Wall. and I don't think tanking does it with Christian Wood, who's a little bit older and in the second year of a third year deal. So there's a lot of people on Rockets Twitter that want them to tank and like just totally blow it. Um, but I think that there's a lot more value in. Trying to get the play in, they probably won't get it. If they do, they'll probably get a play in game and they'll miss the actual playoffs by losing the play in game. So they'll still be in the mix for the lottery. And you get like a, you know, 10 or 11 or 12 pick totally fine with me. Um, and I wouldn't even be mad if they traded it to do something with it. So yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of sad because there's so many teams like Charlotte, dude. Charlotte's a nice, exciting, young, fun, fun. Team, yeah. you know, they're yeah. fun. There's a lot to grow there, but they're just going to get stomped and they have no hope, <laughs> you know, they just have yeah. no yeah. hope, you know? So yep. I don't know. Um, I think the NBA is in a good place, but it, for the reasons we stated, I also think it's kind of in a scary place because it's so top heavy that it just, it's just sad. Like imagine if, you know, take one of Brooklyn stars, take one of LA stars put them on a team that needs a star legitimately needs an extra star. And then all of a sudden you have two extra contenders, take those role players and put them on a team, take like maybe two of each team's role players and put them on separate teams that could use those role players legitimately to like be an actual top four, top five team. And all of a sudden it's fun because now we're looking at six to 10 teams that like, who knows, anything could happen. You have your favorites, but you still got some like underdogs. And I think that's, what has made me more excited lately about like baseball, dude, like in baseball, you have your top heavy teams. I mean, the Dodgers are like far and away the favorite and that's not exciting, but elsewhere, like anything could happen in the AL, anything could happen. You know, I don't really know who's going to emerge from the AL, uh, in the NFL, dude, any, on any given season, who knows what's going to happen. It used to be like the Patriots were a guarantee, but now it's just like, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea. So it's fun. Um, yeah. And yeah. I
0: think you're right. And and like even when you had the Bulls dynasty, there was always like you mentioned those great teams that they played against. There's always this perceived threat um, in that era. So even though the Bulls were dominant, it did feel like Utah could get it from them. It did feel for a minute there like the Sonics could get it from them. Yeah. Um, Roosh, this, this has been such a pleasure. So much fun talking hoops with you. I, I hope we can do it again. Uh, thank you so much for, for staying past the time we told you and, and chatting with us. Uh, if you could please um, plug where our listeners can follow you and and catch you talking hoops.
1: Yeah, man, you can catch me um, pretty much on Twitter these days. It's really all I'm where I'm at. Um, maybe, maybe transition to YouTube at some point, but don't worry about that. Uh, Twitter, R-O-O-S-H Williams. That is R-O-O-S-H Roosh Williams rhymes with swoosh. Uh, check out the Noble and Roosh show hosted by Ball is Life. Anywhere you get your podcast, we we interview players, we interview beat writers, uh, journalists, whatever. We have a we just did an episode with Jay Billis. We did an episode with Sam Decker, and we are releasing an episode with George Niang from the 76ers tomorrow. So check that out. And uh, Justin Matt. Thanks for having me on, man. I had a great time. Uh, definitely happy to come back and do it again at some point. And um, yeah, thanks for letting me go over the limit. I, I could talk basketball all day. So,
0: thanks so much, man. Yeah, too. let's do it again sometime for sure. Appreciate y'all. You have chat. a good night.
1: You thanks, chat. guys. You too.